Now let's take a moment to have some pity for the fellas and lovely ladies who are in such constant denial, deceit, and delusion about the level of black crime, violence, mayhem, and dysfunction. And all the reporters and, del- and public officials who join them in their denial, deceit, and delusion. I mean, let's face it. It has to be exhausting constantly trying to explain away the obvious, constantly trying to explain away what everybody sees you know, all around them, often, that black crime and violence is wildly out of proportion. You know, when I first started writing and, and reading and doing videos and books and podcasts about this, there were really only three excuses for black crime and violence wildly out of proportion. One, it's not happening. Two, white people do it too. Three, white people deserve it. Well, number one got knocked out right away because there's too much video out there. Too many victims, videos, 911 calls, police reports, bodies, too many of them. So the whole idea that we could deny that that this stuff is actually happening, well, you know, even the most stalwart, even the most dedicated person in denial, deceit, and delusion, well, they, they, even they couldn't sustain that level of deceit for that long of a time. Too exhausting. So then they switched to num- excuse number two. White people do it too. And that's still kind of popular, but it's been around for a couple of years now, and even that's starting to collapse under the weight of its own deception because the deception so huge. Here's what the deception depends on. I mean, we've got all the videos, right? Lots and lots of videos, lots of crime numbers from the fellas and lovely ladies. I mean, we document that here all the time. And I know a lot of you guys like to write me emails and post on my Twitter feed that I'm the world's greatest reporter. Well, thank you for doing that. But guess what? All this stuff is on the surface. It's very easy to find. I've done stories where I had to work for a month on the story when I got that black guy out of prison named Kelvin Wiley in San Diego. Got him out of prison. He was wrongly convicted of trying to kill a white girl. Got him out. That was investigative. This is just opening my email or looking on Google on the surface and, you know, you see, you can see what happens. Even so, a lot of people are still into this exhausting level of denial, deceit, and delusion where they maintain that white people do it too. You know, the white people do it too canard began, and this is why I spent so much time talking about it in my book, Don't Make the Black Kids Angry. It began with a study done by the Department of the Census where they go into your homes, not everybody's homes, just a couple thousand people. I call it the super census. They go into your homes, they sit down, they ask you a bunch of questions. One of the questions they ask is, do you smoke pot? And they ask you some questions about your drug use. And from that study and that study alone, they come out with this conclusion that white people and black people use the same kind of drugs, same amount of drugs, and the same frequency. That's, so that's one set of facts over here on the left or on your left hand, which are bogus facts, as we'll discover in a minute. On the right hand, they go, yeah, but black people are arrested 10 times more often. What do you got to say about that, Colin? Well, let's get, 
Here's the basis of, of that phony baloney claim that white people and drug people are using of similar illegal drug habits. It's called self-reporting. There's lots and lots of you know peer-reviewed literature where they test the whole idea of self-reporting for drugs. And every study ever done on this comes up the same. We cite them and don't make the black kids angry. When you ask, when you ask, but that when you ask, and then compare the asking, the answer you get when you ask with a test that you have done on the person, and the answers are vastly different. They call it areas of agreement. They say, well, there's areas of disagreement between this group and that, what they said and what we know from taking their blood test or their whatever kind of test, a real test, a physical test that doesn't depend on asking a drug user about their own habits. But here's where it gets weird. Now, this one, the one story I always, re- always remember very explicitly, but there's more than one. The Journal of Addictive Behaviors. They published this big, long s- study where they actually went out and did this. They asked people about their drug use habits. And um, they said, well, yeah, a bunch of people lie about it. So you go, what's the biggest indicator for lying about your drug use. They go, yeah, number one, whether the person is African-American or not. Turns out that black people are lying about their drug habits six, eight, ten times more often than white people do. So you take this phony baloney study from the census department that says white people, black people use same drugs in the same amount, and then you extrapolate it into all lots of other stuff, then all of a sudden you get somebody going, yeah, Colin, uh, you've seen the, everybody knows that black people and white people use the same amount of drugs, but black people get arrested 10 times more often. That is proof positive that black people and white people commit the same kind of burglary, homicide, rape, uh, car home invasions, carjackings, all that stuff, Colin. It's proof. White people do it too. But, you know, as we sit here, we wait for the videos. We beg for the videos. They never show up. I only have two explanations. One is the sci-fi explanation. Well, they're both sci-fi. One is the sci-fi explanations. How many people in the sci-fi movies, how many times have we seen an invisible man in the sci-fi movies? It's probably at least 20 invisible man movies. I think pretty much all of them, the invisible man is, you know, some kind of crackpot. But they seems like they always find a way to like make the visible man, invisible man visible. I don't know whether they use smoke or they use rain or water or footsteps or whatever. They always kind of find a clever way to find him out. The other invisible man thing, of course, and even he got found out, was uh, Harry Potter and his cloak of invisibility. Um. So there's Harry Potter. I think you know. I think he got into a fight with Malfoy once in his invisible cape, and even Malfoy knew what was up with Harry Potter in his invisible cape somehow. So that's what the fellas and lovely ladies and all their allies in public office and in the press depend on. That somehow white people are engaged in all this nefarious, uh, violent behavior. But somehow they're just never getting caught. The invisible man. It's the cloak of invisibility. It's the cops ignoring all the violence. It's the judges and juries and prosecutors letting them go once they do get ensnared in the system. So, so we 
All these fairy tales depend upon fairy tale backstories, right? So I can just see like a cop rolling up into a suburban house. There's like two people dead on the front lawn. A white kid standing there holding the gun. He was just trying to hold him up. He goes, what happened here, son? Well, I was in there trying to, uh, you know, do a home invasion, rob them of a bunch of money and valuables. And they came in. I had to kill them. Cop looks at the guy and goes, well, you're white, so I guess I'll give you another chance. But don't let me catch you around here again. Now get out of here, you rascal. Yeah, that's the backstory. All these white kids are white people are doing crazy stuff and they never get caught. And so I don't know how long that little fairy tale is going to hold up. It's already collapsing, right? Because we see how ridiculous it is. And there really isn't a lie in the world, especially when you keep heaping, heap, heaping lies and lies and lies on top of each other. There really isn't a lie in the world that can sustain that for a long period of time. There's just too many internal contradictions that come out one way or another, no matter how hard YouTube and Facebook and PayPal and Patreon and even Teesprings try to shut it down. And so in this case, everybody knows that the white people do it too, Canard is starting to go away. So they called in for some help. They called in Dr. A I always forget if his name's Dr. Abraham Zendi or Zendi Abraham. It's X-E-N-D-I. He's a professor up in Boston. He writes a book about anti-racism. And his big contribution to Western literature and Western rationality, invented by the Greeks 3,000 years ago, is the following. He was on the he was on CBS Morning News with Gail King, not just once, but a couple times. Reminding everybody how much white people suck and how much black people are victims of relentless white racism all the time, everywhere that explains everything. He didn't call that critical race theory. He didn't have to. That's what it is. That's where Gail King introduced him by reminding all of her colleagues on the set and everybody at home that most people think black people can't be racist. So anyway, he... he he, understanding that this whole white people do it too thing is collapsing down, he's kind of a canary in the coal mine. He sees the he sees the he experiences the premonitions of dis looming disaster before everybody else. So he came up with the idea as a remi uh, he came up with the reminder that to the extent that you deny you are guilty of racism, that is to the extent you are indeed guilty of racism now that that's not going to last forever either but it's kind of a good stopgap at least to keep us going through these turbulent times where evidence of black crime violence mayhem is just so easy to find where people talking about it encouraging it is so easy to see and hear if you deny it that means you are guilty colin Okay, well, you know, how do you defend yourself against that? How? How do you defend yourself except by just holding this up for the scorn and humiliation it deserves until we have to, you know, until this, until this flimsy excuse walks off the stage with his head down to the sounds of jeers and laughter the more this guy repeats these fairy tales? And so here we are in the middle of all this crazy business where denial, deceit, delusion is raining down on us every day. 
Even with our umbrellas, sometimes it's hard to keep it off of us. Man, was it like a month ago? Where, I forget the name, it was like a magazine, I think it was called American Conservative. I don't think it's the world's biggest conservative magazine, but it's not the smallest. And a woman was writing an article about all the fellas and lovely ladies, and she said, listen, it doesn't even matter what the numbers are anymore. It doesn't even matter what the, it, whether, with, whether what people are talking about is true. All that matters is that black people feel they are put upon. They feel they are relentless victims of relentless white racism all the time, everywhere. That explains everything. And that means we have to believe it. That's a conservative saying that. Wow. So meanwhile, while everybody's trying to deal with this denial, deceit, delusion, reality just keeps crashing down on us every day, whether we acknowledge it or not. So why don't we go through just the things that have happened, a couple things that have happened just in the last week or two. Again, you know, yesterday we went through all the murders. We had to leave off a lot of murders, a lot of black-on-white murders, offering them up as a, you know, as a stark reminder of the, the, the starkest reminder of the reality of black-on-white crime, black-on-white hostility, black-on-white violence. You didn't see any of these victims their names showing up on the back of NFL helmets. And so whenever we talk about the reality of black crime and violence, one of the numbers I like to throw out there is not because it represents a a sizable portion of the black crime and violence in this country, but it represents an interesting portion which totally demolishes one of the favorite canards of the fellas and the lovely ladies when we're talking about black crime and violence they always like to come back and go oh hey con what about dylan roof yeah what about all the white guys that are shooting up schools every day con yeah that happens every day con white people are hunting black people every period day period we get that up from no less an authority than the than the goat the greatest of all time lebron james well, I tell you what, you know, talking about the ninjas, the cloak of invisibility. Anybody, re- I remember, anybody remember about five years ago during the finals, the NBA finals, LeBron James, like had a press conference going, man, nobody snuck into my property and they painted all these anti-black slow and graffiti all over my garage. They did this and that. So he lives in, you know, high up in the hills of LA. You know, these, if you ever been up in these unbelievably wealthy neighborhoods, I mean, most of them aren't gated. There are gated communities, but these are not. And, and, you know, you just drive up there, but there's lots and lots of hedges, lots of walls. You don't really see anything. Maybe once in a while you can see a house, but most of them are hidden from the street. But what you do see are cameras, cameras, cameras. So anybody that got into a car or better walked up to LeBron James' house with a backpack full of spray paint cans, that would basically be like walking through the equivalent of 45 or 50 high-definition, high-quality television studios, complete with lighting and great cameras. No, it's not like walking into a 7-Eleven in downtown Cleveland where you get the video that's like very grainy and you can't see anything. No, these cameras are the real thing. And when you went into LeBron's, when you saw a picture of the graffiti, one of the things you saw over top of the graffiti was a big fat camera sitting right there. So LeBron wants us to know that white people are hunting black people every day as proof. He he forgot to mention the proof is 
all the white people, invisible white people and ninja white people and visible cape white people who got into his, his property that time with their spray cans. Anyway, so, and so the, but the one thing, the one number that really like, that kind of blows their mind is again, black people are just convinced that the mass shootings are a white thing. Dylan Roof, Colin, they, got, they gave him Burger King. Then the New York Times had to come out and spoil all the fun. The Guardian and the United Kingdom came out and spoiled all the fun. They both found the same thing. 75% of mass shooters in this country are black. Their definition, four or more. My definition, three or more. What's the damn difference? But if you look at three, four, five, the definition of three, four, and five people shot at one time, that number of 75% black shoots up to 90%. Easy. Every once in a while, I'll see somebody go, Colin, Colin, there's been six mass shootings in this country this year. Five of them have been black. So what are you talking about, man? A couple, you know, we stopped doing this, but we did it for like two months every week. Every week, I'd go through and list all the mass shootings. There's like 20 in this country every week. Remember one week, there were 40. It's like 15 to 20 every week. There's a lot of mass shootings. It's a black Thing. If you need a reminder, why don't we run through a few of these recent ones here, starting in Rochester, New York. Oh yeah, 16 people got shot in this little mass shooting just a couple days ago. Two dead. I need cars. I need citywide. All the police cars available to the scene. We have hundreds of witnesses walking around our crime scenes right now. The chaotic moments following a deadly mass shooting in the city of Rochester. 16 people were shot while at a house party. Two people are dead. This was a scene outside the home on Pennsylvania Avenue. Nikki Rudd is about a block away on 6th Street. Nikki, what can you tell us? Oh, we wanted to move closer to the scene so you could see what's happening right now. Like you said, we are on 6th Street. A block down is Pennsylvania Avenue. Rochester police say that is where this shooting happened in a backyard. Police got the call around 1230 this morning. When officers got here, about 100 people were out on the scene. Officers say it was extremely chaotic. They had not received any calls earlier in the night about this house party that was going on. And when investigators got here, it was not good. They say several dozen rounds were fired. 16 people were shot. Two were killed. Police tell us those victims that were killed were a man and woman in their late teens. They were pronounced dead here at the scene. Their names have not been released yet. As for the other 14 people who were shot, they were taken to Strong Hospital and RGH. Investigators tell me they're believed to be in stable condition. All of them are expected to survive. Now, two more people were hurt while trying to run away. Can you imagine the chaos? Investigators tell me several dozen shots, again, were fired at this point. No suspects are in custody. No arrests have been made, but police are interviewing witnesses. Well, in our 6 a.m. hour, you heard from the acting police chief and Reverend Marlo Washington. New at 8, I spoke with a man who lives nearby and heard the shots. I just, uh, when I did hear I seen people running. When they run it, I'm not going to run. You know, the bullets have no name, so you get out the way, so... I just went back in the house because they always shoot out here on the block. If you're not familiar with the area, we are very close to the Rochester Public Market. Rochester police tell us the neighborhood is safe. If you're just joining us, 
a mass shooting, the worst we've seen in Rochester in recent history. 16 people were shot, two are dead. Police still trying to track down the killer or killers. We'll be standing by live and bringing you any. How about this one from Chicago? I love the way the guy starts off. Another mass shooting in Chicago, the latest, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he's giving away the game a little bit that this isn't a rare thing. It's a common thing in Chicago. There's one, you know, Temple University did a study a few years ago and said, yeah, happens every day, every like every 11 days in Philly. Turns out that number has shrunk considerably in the last couple of years as well. Anyway, let's go out to Chicago, see what the latest is from the Pancake House out in Morgan Park. It is the city's latest mass shooting, at least a dozen shots at a Morgan Park Pancake House this afternoon. Police say five people eating in an outdoor tent were hit, one died. CBS 2 Stephen Graves is live at Advocate Christ Hospital where medics took some of those victims. He has the latest and video you will only see on two. Stephen. Hey, Jim, yeah, and it's not so much what you see, but here in that video recorded at a home blocks from this shooting, multiple gunshots ringing out the aftermath of family devastated and people just really surprised any of this happened in their neighborhood. A doorbell camera shows a quiet street in Morgan Park later blaring with the sound of gunshots. You can hear at least 15 shots fired in seconds. Leading to this site on Western Avenue, medics shuttling people in ambulances around 2 this afternoon. Chicago police say someone shot the victims who were in this white tent, a packed outdoor eating area at the Looms Pancake House. Terry, a waitress, describes the chaos. Everybody started run, coming, running in and then they were in the back and they were shooting. The guys came in the tent and started shooting everybody in the tent. Police say five people were shot, four injured, a 31-year-old man died. Only a fence separates some neighbors from the shooting they say happened in this back parking lot area. They saw suspects firing through this opening in the tent, then getting away in a vehicle. My kids play in this backyard um, 50 feet from where this all happened. Um, what if my kids are outside today? This neighbor calls the pancake house a staple in the community where people enjoy company. You could still see dishes on tables as police investigated into the evening. It's plenty of business. There's never any problems. The restaurant now labeled as the site of Chicago's latest mass shooting, a place where this relative of the man who died came out after the mayhem. She says he was eating with his baby when hit multiple times. Police believe it was a targeted attack. Here's a story from Philadelphia, from Germantown. Remember. In Germantown, there are no Germans. Breaking overnight gunfire on a street corner in Philadelphia's East Germantown neighborhood sends six people to the hospital. One of those victims was hit by a stray bullet while he was inside his bed. Eyewitness News reporter Jan Carabello is live this morning at Einstein Medical Center with the latest on that investigation. Jan. Janelle, good morning. As you mentioned, in all, six people were shot near a street corner in East Germantown overnight, including a man who was just sleeping upstairs in his second floor apartment at the time, hit by a stray bullet, an innocent bystander in all of this. Now, all six people were taken here to Einstein Medical Center for treatment. Almost all of them are now in stable condition this morning. However, one man, we're told, is still in critical condition. A lot of gunfire erupted on this street corner right around midnight. We're told by police they found 
More than 30 spent shell casings there at this scene. And if you take a look at the video, you can see how much work police had to do at that scene collecting evidence. They have now cleaned up and moved out, but they're processing a lot of information. Police were actually in the area of Chu and Chelton Avenues when they heard those gunshots erupt just before midnight. When they arrived there on the 700 block of East Chelton Ave, they, fought, they found five men in the street shot. Police say they range in age from 18 to 26 years old. Soon after, responding officers also realized a 49-year-old man was shot in his second floor apartment. Investigators say a stray bullet pierced his window and hit him in the leg. He is now in stable condition this morning. White people do it too. Yes, they do. White people are doing this all the time, Colin, yeah. 75% of mass shooters in this country are black. So sorry about that. Thing happened in this area last night near the Dunbar Community Center. One person tells us they heard about 20 shots. Another woman said she shielded her daughter inside their home as the shots rang out. Neighbors say people were gathered on this playground yesterday evening during a cookout. The shooting left seven people injured. We're hearing one of those individuals is a community activist here in Lexington. We're told he's in surgery right now. This morning, staffers at the Russell School Community Service Center were out looking for bullets on the playground. We have a lot of safe things going on and we have good quality programming um, for the children in our community. But the violence that's happening in our neighborhoods, this just simply has to stop. The school caters to children ages zero to five. The executive director says the children will not go outside today due to the rain and what happened last night. Neighbors say they have reached out to Lexington police and asked for more police patrol in this area in Lexington. I'm Bishop Tony Caldwell with the Justice Center. And apparently last night, as you know, we've had a mass shooting out here, which is ridiculous, especially since we already pre-knew that this was going to happen. And we kind of put the word out and asked for assistance and help, and we received none. You, you, you know, we, we know they have the sideshows and the guys doing the donuts and things of that nature on the weekends. We had a safe environment for them to be at, but unfortunately some of our city officials didn't want that to happen that way. And now this is what has ha happened today. When something can be prevented and we change gears because of political, that's a problem. A lot of these things we already know, the people that's in the streets, we see this every day. We know who's going to kill who ahead of time, and we reach out for that to get that information to the right hands. And when it doesn't happen or when they don't act on it, this is exactly what we have here today. This, can have, this could have been prevented. Witnesses are saying they fled from inside the mall, went out to the rear of Modell's. We're still trying to clear the mall. Breaking news is happening right now in Whitehall Township. Police on the hunt for the shooter or shooters who fired off shots inside the Lehigh Valley Mall. Dramatic video showing responding officers moving about the facility. This began just a couple hours ago. Good evening, I'm Joe Holden. Dozens rushed for cover, hiding inside stores and shops. Eyewitness News reporter Trang Do, live at the scene in Whitehall Township with the very latest on this breaking story. Trang, bring us up to speed. Well, Joe, it appears that this situation is over. However, as you can imagine, the mall property is still closed off to anyone 
except law enforcement. Going to give you a look here. We're across the street at a shopping center. You can see directly behind me a number of fire trucks as well as emergency personnel on standby just in case this things got really, really bad. But you can see as we pan over all of the flashing lights, there are police officers stationed at every single entrance to this mall. And most of them were concentrated outside of the J.C. Penney. Now, we passed it as we were coming this way. And that is where shoppers reported hearing about four shots right around 450 this evening. Uh, but take a look at this video. This is video from Twitter. As you can imagine many people inside the mall sharing their experiences because a lot of them were stuck inside the mall because they worked there and they had to take cover. So this video, you can see that there are police officers with long guns running through the mall, trying to locate this active shooter. Oh, I watched you beat my blue-eyed son. And I watched you kill that darling young one. I have left the nice suburbs and fled to the mountains I've been held up and delayed by fellas on highways Better heed this warning, my patience is dwindling Each new crime reported just adds more kindling now we're all waking up and we're watching you closely All of you impotent leaders, oh you will pay dearly And there's a heart, a heart There's a heart, there's a heart A heart rain's gonna fall did you do, my blue-eyed son? Your dipshit teacher said you hate everyone. The fellas surround like wild wolves all around him. And if we don't push back, our bright future looks quite grim. I saw a black man with blood on his knife The more you ignore, the more risk on your life Our leaders try to disarm us and tell us to kneel Well, the barrel of my 38 will see you in hell well, you called out the thunder and now you've got it And it's a heart, a heart, a heart There's a heart, a heart rain's gonna fall And there's a heart, a heart, a heart There's a heart Another 
canard that the fellas like to throw at us is that somehow, I mean, it's amazing how often we hear this. We just heard it yesterday from an 11-year-old girl reminding everybody that cops are always killing black people for no reason whatsoever. Just a few weeks ago on, uh, it was this ABC News town hall. They had Trump up there. Had a bunch of people asking him questions. They were nominally supposed to identify themselves as Trump supporters or Biden supporters or not make up their mind. But all the people that said they hadn't made up their mind, they were all Biden's anti-Trump people. Coincidence. Black guy stands up there and he goes, Mr. President, can you tell me when America was ever a place that was great for black people? So Trump gave his answer. I thought it was a pretty good answer. But then George Stephanopoulos, who basically was the moderator and who was acting as a Biden surrogate that night. You know, it's funny. My nurse came. I have a nurse come in here once or twice a week, take my blood and do all this other stuff. She came in the next day. She goes, oh, did you watch the debates? She said, yeah, a little bit. You know, I didn't really pour out what I was, what we talk about here. Uh, I said, yeah, I kind of thought the questions were weird. And she said, an Hispanic woman, she said, yeah, it seemed like they were all hostile. I said, what do you think about George Stephanopoulos? She said the same thing. I said, well, yeah, he used to work for Clinton, right? She, didn't, she, hadn't, she hadn't totally forgotten, if she ever knew in the first place, that George Stephanopoulos was a Clinton PR guy. You know, he's like a main inner circle Clinton PR guy. And there he was debating with Donald Trump. So he throws out the number. He goes, well... Three times more black people get shot by police than white people. And this was supposed to be shut the door, proof positive, no reply possible to the incontrovertible proof that black people are relentless victims of relentless white racism all the time, everywhere, especially all the time, everywhere. That explains everything, especially cops always picking on black people for no reason whatsoever. And so I'm probably imagining this thing, but when you're dealing with excuses for black crime and violence, it's really easy to lapse into imaginary talk and imaginary thinking. So I was probably imagining this, but when Stephanopoulos threw that number at Trump, I was looking at Trump, and he came back almost right away. But in that short distance between right away and almost right away, the tiny little gap where I could have sworn through my superior mind reading skills, could have sworn Trump was wondering whether he should remind people that black crime and violence is so wildly out of proportion. It's amazing that only three times more black people get shot because black people are committing three times, 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times more violent crimes than white people. So it only makes sense that they are having way more contact with cops than white people do. So I, had, I really had an image of Trump standing on the abyss and looking over the abyss, knowing that if he answers that question truthfully, he'll be falling into the abyss. And uh, I guess the definition of abyss is that there is no happy ending at the bottom. There is no bottom. You're not going to hit a, like a slide. It's going to dump you into this beautiful meadow of flowers and plants and trees and puppy dogs and you know deer running around. No, it's an abyss. You never come back. So Trump, deciding discretion is the better part of valor, backed away from the abyss, and he just started defending the cops. But even so, every day, aside from the fantasy world that exists in the head of George Stephanopoulos, whom according to his wife, in today's news accounts, according to his wife, George Stephanopoulos wept 
for 45 minutes upon hearing of the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. 45 minutes, man, people don't even cry that long when their dog dies. So anyway, in the real world, outside of the fantasy world of George Stephanopoulos, in the fantasy world where all those people who hated Trump were, were listed as people who were undecided, in the real world, every day, cops are experiencing hostility, scorn, non-cooperation to the 10th degree, violence, and murder from the fellas. Way out of proportion. It's routine. I mean, do I really have to play the song, Fuck the Police? Was it just a couple weeks, like two weeks ago? Seems like two two centuries ago. Couple of cops, guy, guy, guy just... You see it? We saw it on video. Fella runs up to a car with a couple cops in it, starts shooting inside the car. Luckily, somebody had a vest on and people were, you know, they're still, they're still pretty badly beat up, but they're alive. This happened in Compton. That's where they recorded and wrote the song, Fuck the Police. And this is a song that cops to this day, it was like 30 years ago that song was out, to this day, Cops still hear people singing that when cops roll up on a group of fellas outside of a 7-Eleven or in a park or somewhere else where they're up to no good. Somebody's always starting the song off. Fuck the police. Blah, 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 blah. Talks about how, you know, black people should rise up against the police and how cops, if they didn't have a badge, the black people would just kill them instantly because cops are very bad and weak people. But in real life, Black people are attacking cops, even though it's not as much as our buddy Killer Mike would like us, would have us do. Remember Killer Mike, the spokesman for Bernie Sanders, the hero of Atlanta, the guy who wrote a song, I think it's called Run the Jewels, where the famous line appears, when are you niggas going to unite and kill the police, motherfuckers? Well, the answer, apparently, is now. In Action News tonight is police officers in the Delaware Valley under fire. Some scary moments this weekend when two police officers in Newark, Delaware, survived a close call. This comes on the heels of a shooting on three officers in Philadelphia on Friday night and shots fired at the home of two officers in Camden, New Jersey. Action News reporter Trish Hartman is more on what's been a violent week for men and women in blue. Police are calling the suspect who fired at officers in Newark, Delaware, armed and dangerous and say they are aggressively pursuing leads. This is the latest of several incidents in our area where shots have been fired at police. We just seen him run and the police chase after him and all you heard was the gun go off. The witness we spoke with didn't want to be identified, but she said her home surveillance camera captured the suspect running away from police officers around 630 last night on North Thistle Way in the Glasgow Pines community. Newcastle County police say two officers were investigating a report of shots fired earlier in the day when they approached a potential suspect. Police say 22-year-old Chiron William Edwards, now wanted for attempted murder and felony possession of a firearm, fired a handgun at the officers as he fled. Everybody went running because uh, we thought maybe the police got hit. You know, we were trying to help. Um, you know, we tried to stay clear of it, of course. Um, 
and it was just it was chaotic. On Friday night, three Philadelphia police officers in plain clothes were shot at by two men in West Oak Lane. Police have identified one of the suspects as 28 year old Jeffy Owen Thomas. The FOP is offering a $10,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. It's harrowing. It's frightening, you know, that, um, you know, it, that anyone's house would be shot up. And in Camden, the reward is now up to $75,000 in the case of shots fired into the home of two Camden County police officers Tuesday night. Police say no one was hurt, but the officers were inside the home with their 10-day-old infant when bullets penetrated the house. Police believe the officers were targeted. It was pure evil, um, shooting that many rounds into a, a house. Um, where the bolts are going through the, the doors and into the house where they would normally be watching TV. Police in all three cases are looking for information here in Newcastle County. And in Cleveland, story that's in the paper just a day or so ago, 15-year-old kid kills a cop, at least one cop, he's in bail. He's in jail for $3 million bail. I don't know how that happened. I mean, why are we criminalizing poverty? Why? I mean, was he guilty of it? course not why don't we let him go instead he's sitting in a slammer awaiting trial for the murder of a cleveland police officer does anybody want to try to pretend that the murder of and the murder and violent assaults on cop in this country is not a black thing do you have some magical explanation for that that can hold you over for at least a month or two before that collapses. Then we'll replace it with another one, and Gail King will pick up the pick up the, the the flag like she's picking up a battle flag that was fallen in battle. We'll hold, run with that for a few months till that falls. Somebody else picks up another excuse. Do you need a break? Are you tired of forgiving all of your assailants? Are you fed up with hoping they get the help they need? Do all of the kids in your community need some activities and resources to occupy their time after a busy day of curing cancer and building rockets for NASA? Well, we here at Don't Make the Black Kids Angry Studios have heard your screams. Do you like to watch spineless liberals soil themselves? Play this music at your next event. In the hospitals, cause I stabbed you with We guarantee to have them frantically vomiting an overcompensated desperate word salad of incoherent hogwash in a pathetic attempt to eliminate the very last ounce of racism that exists within them. But everyone in the world is asking, where can I find these amazing renditions? Finding this music is easy. Just go to ColinFlaherty.com and click on the music page. Once again, ColinFlaherty.com. You can order an entire album or just individual tracks if you like. Once again, ColinFlaherty.com. Don't delay though. Our Silicon Valley cowardly overlords are always finding many ways of passive-aggressively stifling our efforts in bringing you such musical treasures as the ones you're hearing right now. Listen, 
If you purchase the Christmas album, have yourself a merry fellow Christmas, and are wanting more of these non-holiday timeless arrangements as desperately as you want police presence in your neighborhood, drop a few shekels in our tin can and we'll send it right over. You have offended me. And so if the fellas are attacking cops, again, to attack a cop with the frequency and the violence that and the intensity that happens today, I mean, isn't that kind of crossing a very, very bright red line? The same line that the fellas and lovely ladies cross in schools when they attack their teachers, when they attack the security guards. Oh, I'm sorry, resource something officers. That's a bright that's a bright line for a kid, and at least it was for me. I can't. I mean, I never imagined anybody in any my little schools. I mean, there were kids in there that were there were some rough and tough kids in there. First among them, of course, was the great Willie Shields. I don't even think the great Willie Shields ever contemplated a scenario where he would attack a nun or a priest or a teacher in our schools. But this is a routine thing. In Baltimore, four to five teachers are attacked every day. Every day. Yeah, we've done that story a ton. A ton of times. And so if the cops and teachers are victims of this black crime and violence wildly out of proportion, I mean, surely we can't expect people who are, you know, have, have less have fewer symbols of authority, fewer significance, less significance like the rest of us. Surely we can't expect them to suffer less. We would expect them to suffer more because they're even more vulnerable. They don't have the cloak of authority, the cloak of self-defense. The cops have, the teachers don't. The, co- the teachers have a cloak of authority that used to protect them from these situations, not anymore. Instead, we just open up the papers and every day we see this what the papers want us to believe is a random attack and they can't figure out the motivation for it. But they just keep happening every damn day the same way. Violence against white people in public places, usually defenseless white people. Lately, somebody's, lately somebody's been sprinkling a little bit of Breonna Taylor or George, the hell is his name? George Floyd. Is it George Floyd or Floyd George? George Floyd sprinkling a little bit of that over to give it a little political tinge, but that's just a that's just a diversion. Marlon Newburn used to talk about this elevated love elevated. Whew. That's like saying this, you know, you take an elevator to the top of the Empire State Building. You are elevated. No, you're way up there. This elevated level of crime and violence among the fellas and lovely ladies doesn't really have any reason other than that's their preferred lifestyle. They like it. I mean, why do we have to strip black people of... Why are we constantly stripping the fellas and lovely ladies of responsibility for any choice they make? Why is that? I mean, we see something in in the paper about, you know, COVID... And and it's like, well, black people, through no fault of their own, have become victims of COVID. And, you you know, you turn on the TV, there's 10,000 black people rampaging down the street, causing some kind of crazy riot. Not a mask in sight. So why don't we just just blow through a few recent examples, some very, very nasty black violence, and uh, to see if you notice... Any similarities? 
Police say a stabbing suspect targeted a Columbus store worker because of his race. Authorities arrested 19-year-old Javon Hatchett for what they say was an unprovoked attack against a worker at AutoZone. Police Sergeant R.S. Mills testified that Hatchett admitted to stabbing the employee. Mills says Hatchett told him he did because he, quote, felt the need to find a white male to kill. Mills testified Hatchett said he wanted to kill a white man because of police brutality against African Americans. Hatchett is being held in jail without bond. WRBL Weather Aware Days, preparing sooner for change. Investigators in Aurora say that a man yelled Black Lives Matter before stabbing another man walking his dog Tuesday night. Aurora police arrested 30-year-old Steve Sinclair shortly after that stabbing at Alameda and Franklin. The police report doesn't explain what led up to the altercation, but witnesses told officers that Sinclair had threatened to kill 29-year-old Michael Connor and his dog. Connor, who's white, survived, was taken to the hospital with a collapsed lung. He told officers that Sinclair yelled Black Lives Matter and attacked him. Police arrested Sinclair on suspicion of a bias-motivated crime and attempted first-degree murder. He's being held in jail without bond, has a court appearance tomorrow morning. It's all caught on camera, too, and the victim speaking exclusively to Local 10. Let's go to reporter Roy Ramos, live now in Brickell, with this very disturbing story. Roy. Calvin and Nicole, the victim in this case, still very emotionally shaken by all of this. It has been nearly two weeks since this all happened, and she still had visible injuries all over her body. She said she didn't know this man and has no idea why he would attack her. Graphic surveillance video inside a Metro Mover September 4th capturing a violent attack on 29-year-old Andrea Puerta. She is the woman sitting on the top right corner of your screen as 25-year-old Joshua James King, seen in a pink t-shirt, walks in. Once he sees that there are no other passengers is when he returns and immediately begins pummeling Puerta. I remember that I, that I close my hands and I say, stop, stop. More than 20 punches thrown before Puerta tries to get away. King then pushing her before slamming her into a chair head first, Puerta blacking out. He didn't, he didn't stop. It was a moment that he said sorry and I looked at him and he punched me and after that, I don't know what happened. In the video, King is seen throwing more punches. When he finally stops, Puerta, still in a daze, walks out the doors. More than two weeks later, you can still see her injuries. A black eye, a bruised arm, a swollen jaw, and broken rib. He saw my eyes. He didn't care about me. He's so big. He's 220 pounds. I'm 125. He's like two meters, and he, he didn't care about me. I don't know how I'm going to alive. This picture shows King arrested after Puerta called the police and learned he assaulted two other men who got on that Metro mover after her. Tonight, there has been another attack on Miami's Metro Mover. This time, the victim is a man in his 70s. It happened just weeks after a woman was brutally beaten on the same transit system. Local 10's Leanne Morejon is live in Miami with those details. Another one, Leanne. It's just so shocking, Laren, when you really think about it. This victim in this particular case is 74 years old. His son tells us that he was on his way to work when all of this happened. According to him, he says investigators showed him a photo of this attacker on surveillance video. He does not believe that it's the same attacker responsible for the now viral beating that we've seen that took place earlier in September. But you bet this is just part of a disturbing pattern.
He's visibly battered and bruised, but 74-year-old Eduardo Fernandez tells his family in a video message not to worry. Now to an eyewitness news exclusive, an 89-year-old grandmother targeted in Brooklyn by two men. They never said a word before they slapped her and lit her clothes on fire. Tonight, she's telling her terrifying story of survival to eyewitness news reporter Safan Kim. Mo, this 89-year-old grandmother says she pulled her hair up so it wouldn't burn, then rubbed her back against the wall to put out the flames. In this Eyewitness News exclusive, speaking in Cantonese through a translator, the victim says it was last week, Tuesday night in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, when two men committed the unthinkable. You can see her leaving home here and then minutes later return after being set on fire. This was the shirt she wore that day. You can see just how much of her back was covered in flames. She says one of the men first slapped her in the face, then moments later she felt a sharp pain on her back. She didn't realize at first what was happening. These are the suspects cops are looking for. Investigators say they used a lighter or a match. The victim says she had never seen the men before. She says they never spoke a word, not before the slap, not before setting her on fire. The victim says she didn't even tell her family what happened until the next morning because she didn't want her kids to worry. A new at 11, a bizarre attack at a, at a Bay Area boba shop caught on camera. KPI X5's Joe Vasquez shows us how a man armed with a can of WD-40 sparked a panic. The surveillance video shows just how quickly it happened. A man walked into this tea shop and set some customer's hair on fire. He said something right before he sprayed, and it was kind of like an evil chuckle. Angelique, who asked us not to show her face on TV, says she and her friends had stepped into the Feng Cha Tea House in Berkeley and were standing in line. It was literally a sneak attack. Suddenly, a man chased some other people into the store, walked in the door, immediately sprayed WD-40 on three men, then set a fire with a small torch. Once he ignited it, just burst out into flames. Noel Nubla says it appears the man was still trying to light his torch again, so the victims decided to restrain him. Once we got outside, we were kind of just bumping fists. He got me in the face a couple of times, and then I got him back. He started bleeding, and then I took him down to the ground. I saw him pull out the knife. I pulled him down. He got to the floor. His hand was there, stepped on it, stepped on his wrist, pulled him up disarmed him from the knife. The victims say it was never clear why the man attacked them. He just kept yelling something about his daughter. Before the cops could arrive, the attacker surprised everyone and pulled out an axe. He was holding the axe and he was like just staggering around and he kept getting closer and closer and it just, it was really scary. 
Caught on camera, police need your help to find four people who they say attacked a man outside of Sunoco in East Lansdowne. It happened back on September 1st at the station on the 400 block of Baltimore Avenue. Police say after attacking the man outside of the station, they then followed him inside, attacked him again, and got his car keys from his pocket. They allegedly drove away in his car. If you know anything, police would like to hear from you. Thief is now in jail after police linked him to a slew of thefts across Miami-Dade County. At least one of them violent. Local 10's Leanne Motohong is here to show us how a local attorney helped police find the suspect. Leanne. That's right. When that suspect walked into the attorney's office to ask for donations, the attorney recognized him because he had seen some surveillance video of a previous theft, one in which he walked into an office asking for donations as well and made off with laptops. This is my second time being harassed by Coral Gables police. Richard Anthony Jones in bond court this morning insisting he is innocent. Sure. Just because I'm African-American sure. and everybody has twists. The 24-year-old was arrested Tuesday and is now facing a slew of charges, allegedly linked to several cases of theft throughout Miami-Dade County. Police say Jones was caught on surveillance camera September 1st stealing laptops from a Brickell office building. And when that video hit the news, it caught this man's attention. I forwarded it to our, our internal group chat and just said, you know, laptop thefts are a thing. Be careful what you leave on your desk. That's attorney Brian Barakat. The video of a thief lurking and stealing from an office like his prompted him to warn his employees to keep an eye out for him. And it's a good thing he did. The gentleman comes walking in the back door. Um, he's in a blue shirt. He's got a um, string, drawstring backpack on and uh, a paper in his hand. Jones allegedly came to the law office on Ponce de Leon Boulevard asking for donations for a football team. Which is odd because nobody's playing football right now except for the, the Dolphins. But he later came back through a different door and was caught on surveillance cameras again, scoping out empty desks. An employee saw what he was doing and he eventually left, but Coral Gables police were waiting. Well, I guess that guy, the last guy, wasn't really violent. He was just a master thief going into places, pretending he's like a messenger or a delivery boy or somebody out there collecting money for football teams. And while I was in there, he'd steal computers and stuff. And I don't know that um, I don't know that there was any violence involved with him. But I got a kick out of him at the end where he's pretty much caught red handed on video. And even in the face of all the video, he's in the greatest tradition of every MSNBC and NPR commentator in the greatest tradition of those hallowed news organizations, he's reminding us the only reason he's sitting there in that court, accused of that crime with tons and tons of evidence, is because he is black. My buddy, who's a my buddy Mark, who's a, a golf, a very good golfer, a very good lawyer. He used to tell me the thing he remembers most about law school is when they're talking about making your arguments in front of a jury. He said the only thing he remembers is assert boldly, defend confidently. And by that standard, that kid is like making a Supreme Court quality argument. You know, the, most of the stuff we just saw there was just kind of your typical individual black on white, black violence, so wildly out of proportion. But there's really kind of a peculiar form of black crime and violence in this country, and that's black mob violence. We see so much of it. And, and so few people are ever arrested in the commission of it. 
I mean, the cops show up to a mall. They see a couple hundred black people out there fighting, destroying the mall, destroying cars, destroying all this stuff. They're just happy to break up the crowd and get them the hell out of there. They think they're a winner if they do that. Then they wonder why the fellas come back in larger and larger numbers the week after, the week after, the week after. Here's a story about a place I've actually been to many times when I'm up visiting my friends in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area. Headline, Police Respond to Mob of Unruly Teens near Emeryville's Bay Street Mall. So I've been to this mall a bunch of times. And it's almost, when they say it's a mall, yeah, it is a mall, but it's one of these, it's really kind of a huge retail complex at which were kind of popular in California over the last 10 years. So you kind of, you build this like village with all these homes that are like, you know, right on the sidewalk. But in, mixed into all these homes, there are little stores and retail centers till you get to the mall. So that's it's a very upscale place. With a, I think it has a Nordstrom. I know I've been to the Apple store in that mall. So here's a story about a bunch of fellas at the mall causing all kinds of havoc and mayhem. Some black guy comes out to assure us that there's no problem. It's just kids having a fight. Hey, weren't you a kid once? Around 150 juvenile. Large and violent gatherings in Emeryville continue to prompt action from the feds, and tonight police are stepping up patrols. Around 150 juveniles at the Bay Street Mall tonight were attacking people, vandalizing cars, and stealing from a liquor store. Officials confirm it's just about the same thing that happened last Saturday. One witness said that it looked like things got pretty rowdy. Two groups that got engaged in a fight battle. No guns, no knives, but a battle. Now, police are not arresting the juveniles. They say they just want to keep the businesses safe, and anyone with more information is being asked to contact the Emeryville Police Department. Part I got a kick out of in this story is kind of near the end where they go, oh yeah, that's been happening around here for a long time. All right, let's blast through a few more of these large-scale episodes of black violence. I'm going to try to get some of these on a video if I can. It's just a question of time and energy. Chicago police releasing surveillance video showing people ransacking an electronic store on the city's west side back in May. The video shows dozens of people running through the shop, some breaking locked cases and taking items from inside. Authorities now posting screenshots of 23 suspects from the surveillance footage asking for the public's help. A group of teenagers accused of going on a violent crime spree in South Minneapolis in a neighborhood. They're committing several robberies even stealing a car in broad daylight. And that is our top story tonight at 9. I'm Randy Meyer. And I'm Kelsey Carlson. Courtney Godfrey joining us live tonight. And Courtney, police say this was pretty violent. Yeah, Kelsey, one of the victims was punched in the face. The other one had their car stolen. And police say this was all done by 14 and 15-year-olds. Surveillance video shows a group of six pile out of a car, hoods up, masks on, ready to commit their 
fourth robbery of the morning. They pushed her down and then they opened up the cash register and took the took the cash out and then ran out of there. Chad Stamps describes the moment they robbed his wife at her South Minneapolis gift store, 14 Hill, in broad daylight Tuesday. When Stamps' wife saw her opportunity, she ran next door to the dog wash business, but the suspects followed her, assaulting the employee inside. The thieves making off not only with all the cash she had on hand and her purse, but her car as well. Police saying the brazen criminals were only 14 and 15 years old and on a crime spree around the Lake Nokomis area. The police can only help after the fact, you know, and that's what they're doing right now. But it's not going to stop them from coming in and doing this unless you take away the source and figure that out. Police tracked the cars and three of the six were arrested, now facing multiple felony charges. While these businesses are left with thousands in loss and plenty of fear. Well, you got to love this that one from South Minneapolis we just saw. This is great. Two things out of Minneapolis in the last week. The one thing that got a lot of people's attention was people on the city council, the same people who voted to defund Minneapolis police six months ago, are now standing up at their council meeting going, hey, my constituents want to know why the crime has spiked here. What's up with all the robbery? What's up with all the murders? What's up with all the violence all over the damn place? Why can't we stop it? And it seems hardly worth the effort to look, at them, in the, look them in the eye and go, uh, you do know that six months ago you were calling the cops racist pigs who were the ones causing crime. And now you are the one coming back here wondering why the crime is up and where'd the cops go. You do wonder that's exactly what's happening here, right? But by the time people get around to answering, no, asking those questions, there are no answers because the people who, who made those stupid statements are long gone. But the second thing that happened in Minneapolis is something we've been covering here for a long time. Violence downtown on Hennepin Avenue. Tons and tons and tons of it, especially around the bars at night when they close. White kids come out of these bars. They are easy pickings for the fellas. The fellas are quite happy to oblige them. So every six months, for the last, I don't know, seven, eight years, every three to six months, a group of bar, usually a different group, they come out and go, hey, our businesses are being ruined by all this crime downtown. They never say who's doing it. I say who's doing it. It's the fellas. Well, we got to do something about this. And the next soon, the mayor and the chief of police show up. They're, they're sitting there going, blah, blah, blah. Then pretty soon, everybody in the room starts realizing that the mayor and chief of police are actually telling them not what they're going to do to reduce crime, but how great it is downtown with so little crime. So they're trying to gaslight these merchants. The merchants walk out of these meetings going, you know, I could either run my business or spend the rest of my life exposing these fools for what they're allowing to happen in downtown Minneapolis. Then three, six months later, we allow their rinse repeat with another group of merchants. So just last week, again, another group of merchants, they write the, met, the chief of police a letter going, hey, you don't know how bad it is down here. You don't know how much crime there is just every day on the streets to our customers, killing our businesses. The word is out. This is not where you want to go for your for an entertainment district anymore. you got to do something to help us. Chief of police writes back going, hey man, I'm sorry, but help is not on the way. We are stretched to the breaking point. 
We had to cancel our recruiting class this year, cancel the class next year. Cops are leaving in droves. We are understaffed. Help is not on the way. Good luck. You know, that's the same letter the, the chief of police of Seattle sent out a few months ago when people in Seattle were going, help, chief, help. Chief writes back going, hey, help is not on the way. That's what the people who run this city have decided. Help is not on the way. That if you really, really wanted to take it to a new level, this is not what they said in Seattle or in um, Minneapolis. But when they talk about all this violence and destruction, um, people will remind them. It's like, well, we're concentrating on protecting human life. What's that mean? It means we're going to let people set fires and throw rocks and bricks and bottles at cops because we're protecting human life. Everybody knows cops aren't human, so that fits in with that very nicely. So I don't know how Minneapolis went from point A to point B so quickly, zero to 100 so quickly. But, he, but here's the bigger question. So the mayor and, you know, Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, they're all pretty much the same. They're all pretty much down with the cause. They're all, they've been down with the cause for a long time. None of them are moving off of that position. The town is, is hurting and, and people who live in that town, work in that town, are being hurt on a thousand different levels, a thousand different ways. I don't, but what I don't get is why aren't the people in Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, why aren't the business leaders rising up? Why aren't the newspapers, the TVs rising up and demanding get rid of these losers and put some real people in there who are going to maintain some law and order on the streets of Seattle, Portland, and Minneapolis? I don't get it. I don't see that. So the people in these towns, they are completely acquiescent to the destruction of their own town. They are accomplices in their own suicide slash murder pact. But they're they're volunteering for it. And so I'm not sure, not 100% sure what the rest of us can do about it. I'm not 100% sure what the rest of us should do about it. You have offended me. You have offended me. Just don't care, they've got mounds of success and refuse to share. I'll throw rocks at your children and rip out their hair. Cause you have offended me. You have offended me. You have offended me. That the mainstream media sucks and spreads bullshit amplified. Thank God they do it all for us, cause naive white liberals are on our side. And as the years go by, many of you will die. It's no use, it's your destiny. 
That's right. You have offended me. All together now. You have offended me. Anyway, let's go out to a more traditional episode of black violence, the kind you find at a large black funeral. Fired at a Sacramento cemetery. Two people hit while others run for their lives. The bullets flying at the historic cemetery off Broadway near the Target store, and we've just learned one of the victims has died. CBS 13's Valina Jones is live at the scene. What can you tell us, Valina? Well, that shooting happened just before one o'clock this afternoon. And again, um, detectives just briefed us moments ago, Sacramento police telling us this is now a homicide investigation. You can see they are still here at this hour collecting evidence. Here at the cemetery, one man is dead following the shooting. He and another victim attempted to drive themselves to the hospital and were stopped by officers about a mile and a half away at 24th and Broadway. The second victim is a woman and she is said to be in stable condition tonight. Now, this all happened during a burial service. According to a group of friends and family were at the burial site moments after the service ended. Deborah says she heard at least 15 shots directed towards the group, sending everyone running. You hear all them gunshots. You ain't got time to see who it was. You got to run for cover. And that's what we were doing. We were hiding behind chairs, steel chairs. People were just laying on the ground. You know, we didn't know what to do. Deborah says people ran in every direction and even tried to jump over the fence to escape. She and a group of others ran and hid at the crematorium during the shooting to take cover. She says they were there were several people at the funeral, including both kids and elderly. Now, witnesses say people ran so fast they did not see who was shooting. I'm sure you'll be very disappointed to learn that a large group of black people are in a trampoline park in Orlando. Um... I think that's Orlando. No, I'm sorry, a suburb of Chicago called Orlando. I think it's called Orlando. Anyway, uh, so they had they had these called lock-in parties, right? All the kids jam into this skating rink and they skate and they socialize and then they're supposed to like, I guess you know, you, I don't know. Do you pull up like a sleeping bag or something? Is it like a sleepover? Anyway, whenever they do this, <laughs> the chances of Large-scale black violence are very, very high. That's what happened here. On this story, we're going to see the mom starting off. What's going to be your first complaint? Too many cops. Then what's the next complaint? Well, they weren't wearing masks. That was very dangerous. Has anybody like stepped back and go, hey, the most dangerous thing that happened there was a large group of black people were causing holy hell inside that roller rink. That's what was going on. The cops didn't cause it. The lack of masks didn't cause it. I mean, I mean, man, this convid now, it's like, I thought I'd heard all the excuses, but now they're bringing out the convid 19 virus excuse as somehow a way to connect it to the black violence wildly out of proportion. And I don't know, some, every closest port in a storm, I suppose. We begin here with a push to shut down a trampoline park in the southwest suburbs. A fight inside had police coming to that business in droves last night. This happened at the Sky Zone Indoor Trampoline Park in Orland Park. NBC5's Christian Farr has our story. This is a shame. 
They can't even come out here and have fun without all this. Dolores Alderson had been heading to Sky Zone in Orland Park Saturday night to pick her daughter up from work when Alderson recorded this disturbing cell phone video of the trampoline park's parking lot, which was filled with teenagers and police. I just was in awe of the amount of police cars that I saw and kids. It was a lot of kids out here. Orland Park police say the entertainment venue was hosting an all night lock in event when a fight broke out inside. They got the entire village of Orland Park out here and probably other suburbs too. Police say a large group of mostly minors filled the parking lot and nearby law enforcement agencies were called in to help Orland Park police clear the crowd. Alderson says her friend told her the scene inside was chaotic. And she was like, they're in here fighting now. And then they got all these kids in here and there's no one, you know, they're not practicing any social distancing. The village said the number of people at the trampoline park Saturday far exceeded the maximum occupancy permitted. Orland Park's mayor said that last night's event is very concerning, especially considering the threat posed to children. The village has started the procedure necessary to begin the process of revoking Sky Zone's business license. You know, the next uh, things I've got here, the audio isn't that good, so I'm not even, you know, I was going to play some audio, but it's not really that good enough. The video really tells the story. There are just about, I've got like five or six videos of old people, white people, gay people, um, um, who are victims of black crime and violence right on the video. The first one starts off down in Baltimore. You see this, uh, you, first of all, you can hear there's like three or four guys with a camera across the street. And you see this fella following an older white guy. But all of a sudden, he goes into a creep, goes into a stalk, kind of bends over. There's something in his hand. It's a brick. And the white guy is just walking down the street, oblivious of something behind him. The people on the camera are far away where he can't hear them. They're whooping it up and hollering. All of a sudden, the black guy across the street with a brick in his hand takes the brick, cracks the white guy over the head. Then I think down in D.C., there's a video of just an old white guy walking through a place. All of a sudden, he's surrounded by a bunch of fellas. If you push your hands on another black woman, it'd be the last fucking time you see one black woman again. You touch her fucking bullhorn. Then there's another video of just an old a, a white couple with a daughter being surrounded by a bunch of fellas. All of a sudden, they're on the ground. People are kicking the mom and the dad, and the daughter starts saying, don't do that. They turn around and beat the shit out of her, too. And then, of course, there's Pittsburgh. And this kind of, to me, put the lie, was a really good example of putting the lie to the whole peaceful protest thing. So they're in Pittsburgh. It's a Sunday. They're all mar like thousands of people marching up the street. But in front of the, the people who are protesting, there's like 10 or 20, at least 10 or 20 fellas. They go into this like restaurant that has sidewalk seating and they go and they start yelling and threatening and destroying property and, you know, knocking people's food to the ground and threatening them. And everybody just keeps marching up the street while this is happening right in there, right next to them. I'm sorry, if you're going to be part of a protest where people are doing that, you don't have the luxury of sitting there on any level of sitting there and going, hey, I didn't do that. 
That was somebody else. I'm peaceful protesting. No, you are an accomplice in that in that violence, in that mayhem. You're an accomplice. No matter how disingen- how many disingenuous excuses you can you know come you can come up with that you just heard on MSNBC the night before. Then here's another one. I think this is in Georgetown, down in D.C. A bunch of fellows are going through this neighborhood harassing gay people. And it turns out from the print version of this story, it turns out that not only were they harassing gay people on that night, and as they're doing it, there's a bunch of gay people on the streets going, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? We're on your side. And then somebody comes up and speaks my favorite lines. Oh, yeah. This has been happening here. These black people coming up to Georgetown and harassing gay people for a long time. I've been told Jan get a grip. We're with you. But you're putting umbrellas in our face. Stop that. Please stop that. We're with you. We are with you. We support you. Oh, man, this is such a long list of black violence and dysfunction. Such a long list of people so eager to offer denial, deceit, and delusion to pretend that something other is happening than what is really happening, what we're seeing with our own eyes. And so every minute of every day on all these podcasts and all these videos and all these books that we produce, all the stuff you guys send me, Every video is just one big question. Who are you going to believe? The videos? Who are you going to believe? The people in denial, deceit, and delusion? Or your own lying eyes? And what are you going to do? Are you going to walk into the black section of town and go apologize to all the fellas for all the white racism that's constantly holding them down? Or are you going to stay away from that part of town knowing that your very presence in a black neighborhood puts you in danger of doing the worst possible thing you can do, which is making the black kids angry? What will we get if we bitch and moan? Everything you want. Everything. Everything, baby. Uh, my, my grandma's dead. Do you have the time? Uh, I need bus fare. So call me Upstate, when some peaceful protesters break through your gate, oh, you're driving through Portland and you crash your truck. Come across some fellas and you're out of luck. Wanna ruin our country and defund the police? I heard you say it on your stupid press release. Liberal whites trust fun from your mommy. Allied with the fellas, cause me so coming. Long time. Girls always.
is fat and on welfare And a lip and a nose ring with purple hair White boy so skinny like a wimpy elf He could fall through his own butthole and hang himself Black man squealing that he's always oppressed He says he wants to leave, well be my guest Get out of my way cause you're blocking the road Black lives splatter at this crossroad And I'll punch your police horses Unless you give me money and resources I've never even worked a single day Sucking on the dole till I'm old and gray The fellas love me cause I'm down with the cause If they break my nose I'll give them more applause You should follow me through this shit tsunami It'll work out because me so calm me Oh, it's so calm.